Good morning. James tells us at the end of his first chapter that true religion, that authentic faith shows itself by being unstained by the world. Now, what's the world's stain look like on me? You say, well, I've seen it before. It's red hair. Hard to get out. You say, I know, I know what it is. It's holes in your jeans. It's, it's a beard. It's piercings. It's tattoos. No. John tells us in 1 John 2.16... All that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So the stains of the world sound like this. I want pleasure. I want possessions. And I am somebody. Pride. You see, the world is not a place, it's a perspective It's not just actions, it's attitude. It's not just what you do, it's why you do it. So what does an unstained person look like? What's it look like to be in the world, but not of the world? What is it that distinguishes you as a believer in this world? How in the world are you to be different? We started last week to look at Galatians chapter 5 where he lists some character qualities. The fruit of the Spirit. The first is love. The second may surprise you because the second is joy. Do your friends see joy in you? Does your family see joy in you? Do your coworkers see joy in you? Let's talk about joy today. And first of all, let's talk about a couple misconceptions about joy. Number one misconception about joy is this. Christianity is no laughing matter. Some of you grew up hearing the words, don't laugh, you're in church. Even though some of the funniest things you ever saw happened in church. Some of us have had it ingrained in us that Christianity is serious and somber and sober and the most fitting countenance, the most spiritual countenance is to wear a frown or a scowl. Heard about a fellow who went into the bank and the teller said, are you a pastor? And he said, no, I just had the flu. I'm afraid we give the world the impression that fun is sin. Did you know that the words joy, joyful, rejoice are used over 450 times in the Bible? See, we haven't been given salvation to endure. We have been given salvation to enjoy. We're not to grin and bear it. We are to celebrate. It says of the early church in Acts 13, 52, the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. 
Whenever the Holy Spirit fills your life, it overflows with joy. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in His love. And He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. God is in our midst rejoicing. And some of you are saying, shh, don't laugh, don't rejoice. You're in church. C.S. Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 25, 21. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into, you know what he says next? He doesn't say enter into heaven. He doesn't say enter into salvation. He says enter into the joy of the Lord. Because the joy of the Lord is synonymous with salvation, and synonymous with heaven. In fact, the Greek word for grace is charis, from which we get our word charismatic. The Greek word for joy is charos, one letter different. They often got them mistaken, and they're from the same basic word. You see, the grace of God always brings the joy of God. Grace is the root of salvation. Joy is the fruit of salvation. That's why Billy Sunday used to say, if there's no joy in your life, there's a leak in your Christianity. John Powell said, if you say you've received God's grace and God's mercy, and if you have God's Son and God's Spirit, and you live in His presence, and you know you're going to heaven, please notify your face. Isn't it God who urges us to make a joyful noise unto the Lord? We usually think making a joyful noise is singing probably because you've heard me sing. It is a noise. But I would suggest to you that the most joyful noise on earth is laughter. You hear laughter, you know that's a noise that is joyful. Brandon's 12. He was watching something the other day with us and he started to laugh and he got the giggles and he just kept laughing and laughing and laughing and went on for about a two-minute laugh. Pretty soon we were laughing with him. We forgot what he was laughing about because he was making a joyful noise. Listen, Christianity is a laughing matter. Second misconception is that joy is dependent upon circumstances. Most people operate on the if-then principle when it comes to joy. If I win the lottery, then I'll be happy. If I was more talented or more beautiful, then I'd be happy. If I could find a more fulfilling job, then I'd be happy. If I can find Mr. Right, then I'll be happy. That's why we ask the question, what would it take to make you happy? What do we mean? Circumstantially, what would it take? In fact, I looked up the word happy in the dictionary, 
It comes from an old word, hap. A word that means chance or luck. So not surprisingly, the definition of happy in the dictionary is this. Favored by circumstances, lucky, fortunate. You see, we think that being happy is something that just happens. It's just happenstance to be happy. But if that's the definition of happy, then joy is different than being happy. Because happiness is external, joy is internal. Happiness depends on circumstances, joy depends on Jesus. Happiness depends on what happens to you. Joy depends on who lives in you. Happiness depends on chance. Joy depends on choice. Happiness is temporary. Joy is permanent. Happiness is fickle. Joy is settled. You see, people who are continually joyful do so in spite of circumstances rather than because of circumstances. And that's why Paul said in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. You say, but Paul, you don't know what I'm going through. You know where Paul was when he wrote those, that verse? He was in prison. He was in prison saying, rejoice in the Lord. Not your circumstances, in the Lord. Always. That's why Paul could talk about the churches in Macedonia in 2 Corinthians 8.2 and say this, that in a great ordeal of affliction and in the midst of their deep poverty, they had an abundance of joy. That's why Habakkuk could say in the closing verses of his book, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olives should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. You see, the opposite of joy is not sorrow. The opposite of joy is unbelief. Now, that doesn't mean you're to walk around with a smile on your face all the time. The Bible doesn't tell you to be happy all the time. It says you're to be joyful all the time. You run into somebody who's smiling all the time, they're irritable to you. In fact, they're often disrespectful because the Bible says I am to do what with those who weep? I'm to weep with those who weep. My compassion brings pain when I see pain and experience pain. But even when I'm weeping, there can be an underlying joy from the Lord. Which brings us to the truths about joy. What can we say about true joy? Let me mention five things. First of all, the provision of joy is from God. It's important for us to understand that joy is not something we drum up. It comes from God. In fact, the Bible makes it clear it's not even our joy. It's His joy in us. Jesus prayed, to the Father in John 17, 13, we've looked at that several times in the last few weeks, and this is what he said in verse 13, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. It is Jesus' joy inside of us and his spirit inside of us developing that joy into fruit 
in your life. Now, our problem is that we've believed the lie that God isn't very joyful. We've believed the lie that God is stoic and stiff and boring. I would suggest to you that God's got the greatest sense of humor in the universe. He created you in his image with a sense of humor. And if you think God doesn't have a sense of humor, just go to the zoo and look around. Somebody said the camel looks like a horse made by a committee. Remember when the prophets of Baal were on Mount Carmel and they were calling out to their God for fire to come down from heaven and nothing happened? And Elijah walked up to them and began to throw out a little sarcasm. Said, well, maybe your God's on a journey. Or maybe he's taking a nap. Or literally in the Hebrew, he says, maybe your God is relieving himself. Now, I think when he said that, God laughed. That was God's man in God's place at that moment being funny. And that fellow named Eutychus in Acts 20 fell asleep in the window while Paul was preaching and fell down three stories. I think God laughed. So you weren't the first one to fall asleep in church. You say, well, Jesus wasn't very happy. Well, it's true that Isaiah 53, 3 calls him a man of sorrows. But that was in the context of his suffering on the cross. His life was full of joy. In fact, we talked about the fact that he had a reputation among the Pharisees of being a gluttonous man, a drunkard, and a friend of sinners. Why do you think those accusations were believable? Well, I think it's because he laughed all the time. He was filled with joy. In Hebrews 1.9, the Father says this to Jesus, I have set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. What he's saying is Jesus was the most joyful individual on the planet, set way above his companions in joy. So when, the Jesus, when Jesus turned to the disciples in John 15, 11 and said, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, they didn't say, you're joy, you're stuffy, you're somber, you're no fun. No, they welcomed that promise because they had experienced his joy for three and a half years. They had laughed with him for three and a half years. I love the phrase in Luke 10, 21, where it says of Jesus, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. I would have loved to have seen that moment when he was rejoicing greatly in the Spirit of God. That's the joy he's placed inside of you and me. What's it like? Jude 24 says that it is exceeding joy which means it's beyond the joy we know. 1 Peter 1.8, 
says, we greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible. Can't describe it. And Isaiah 51.11 says it's everlasting joy. So it is beyond human joy. It can't be described and it lasts forever. That is God's joy in us. Second truth. The priority of joy is relationships. In Luke chapter 10, the disciples came back to Jesus after being sent out, and they were all excited and happy because the demons were subject to them. And Jesus told them there's a priority about what to be joyful about. Because he said this in Luke 10, 20. He said, do not rejoice in this, that, you're, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Now, what's he saying? We normally think about heaven as a place, but the issue about heaven is the person that fills heaven. When he says your names are written there, he's not talking about your names are written on a piece of paper in heaven. The Bible says your names are engraved on his hands. And so what he's saying is your names are written in heaven, your names are written on the heart of God. It's about a relationship. That's why Jesus started his prayer in John 17 with these words. He said, this is eternal life. What is eternal life? Is eternal life just living forever? No, he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, eternal life is not just about a quantity of life. It's about a quality of life. It's not about existing forever. It's about knowing God in a relationship with Him. And the priority of joy is always in relationships. Listen to what John said in 1 John 1, verses 3 and 4. He says, What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And I write these, and I write And these things I write so that our joy may be made complete. Our joy is made complete through fellowship with the Lord and with each other. You see, that's relationships. Paul said it this way in Philippians 2.2. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Paul's joy was made complete when we have a unity of fellowship, relationships. John talked about it, his greatest joy in 3 John 4. He said, I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. There's a Father's Day verse. I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in a relationship with the Lord. And then I love Jesus' words in Luke 15.10. He says, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. All of heaven rejoices over a new relationship. So the priority of joy is in relationships. I rejoice in my relationship with God. I rejoice in helping others to walk in relationship with Him. And I rejoice in bringing others to know Him in a new relationship. Third truth about joy. The perspective of joy is eternal. 
You see, joy doesn't have to wait around for good circumstances to happen. I can be joyful, rain or shine. Because joy has a proper perspective on even those bad things that happen in life. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7, 4, I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction. Now, why could he say that? Well, he tells us in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, where he says, we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character. That's why James started his book by saying, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Why can I be joyful in the midst of a trial? Because I know that God is using that harm for good in my life. You see, the myth is when I get all my problems solved, I'll be happy. But you see, life is just a series of problems because God is testing us for eternity. So you will never be clear of problems. And if you decide you're only going to be joyful in between problems, you're going to be a pretty miserable person. You have to have, learn to have joy in the middle of your problems because the perspective of joy is eternal. Fourth, The paradox of joy is giving. Listen to Jesus' words in Acts 20, 35. It is more blessed, that word means happy or joyful. It is more happy to give than to receive. That's the paradox of joy. Joy doesn't come from grabbing. Joy comes from giving. Joy doesn't come from selfishness. Joy comes from selflessness. There's a great promise in Isaiah 58.10. It says, If you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, if you give yourself to needy people and worry about meeting their needs, here's the promise. He says, Then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. If you're down in the dumps, the world says what? Go get. God says, go give. Because the paradox of joy is giving. And then fifthly, the presence of joy is wherever God is. Psalm 1611 says, In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Fullness of joy is found in the presence of the Lord. And God has brought his presence down to earth. He has brought his kingdom down to earth. And he's established that kingdom in your heart if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know what that kingdom's all about? Listen to Paul's words in Romans 14, 17. He says, The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if you have a lack of joy in your life, it should be a warning light that you're not spending enough time with God. 
Or maybe you're spending time with God, but you are stiff-arming Him when it comes to some area of your life. You see, we need to get into His presence, and we need to let His presence fill us. Which brings us to the third point, killjoys. What is it that keeps us from rejoicing always? If we've got God's joy inside of us, and it is this exceeding, indescribable joy, why isn't it there all the time? Well, let me suggest four killjoys that may happen in your life. Number one is hidden sins. King David had adult, committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then to cover it up, he had her husband put to death. And then he continued to hide that sin. And I imagine he thought he had it well hidden. And it was over with. Until Nathan came to him and said, you're the man. He had hidden that sin. But the reality was he wasn't getting away with it. Because here's the way he describes it in Psalm 32, 3 and 4. He says, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. David may have looked like he was getting away with it. He may have put up a good front, but he was miserable. Why? Because he was silent about his sin. And the very next phrase in that psalm says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. That was the turning point. Then he says, I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me the guilt of my sin. And you know how that psalm ends? The last verse, verse 11, says, Be glad, rejoice, shout for joy. Why is he rejoicing? Because he confessed his sin rather than trying to hide it. And he describes that confession in the familiar psalm, Psalm 51. That's the psalm where he says, against you and you only have I sinned. And then he asks God, purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And then he asks another thing. And this comes out in verse 12 of that passage. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Why is he asking for joy? Because that's what he lost. Whenever we hide sin in our lives and don't confess it to the Lord, it strips us of our joy. Second kill joy is counterfeit joy. There's a lot of counterfeit joy in the world. The Bible calls it folly. That's when you laugh for the wrong reasons at the wrong things. In fact, the Bible says that kind of laughter even sounds different. Ecclesiastes 7, 6 says, The laughter of the fool is like the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot. You ever cook over a fire and use bad wood? What happens when you use bad wood? 
it pops. And sometimes the sparks pop out and hurt you. And he's saying the laughter of a fool, he's laughing, but he sounds like thorn branches under a pot. What characterizes counterfeit joy? Let me give you a few things. One is the joy of pleasure. The world says that joy comes through through fulfilling your selfish desires, the things that are in the world, pleasure, possessions, prestige. The world says grab for the gusto. Most people you meet around, they're living for the weekend. Why? Because they're going to have fun on the weekend. Solomon, the wealthiest man in the world, in his day decided he was going to take all his resources and go out and see if he could find joy through pleasure. This is what he said in Ecclesiastes 2.1. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself. And this was his conclusion. And behold, it was futility. And I said of laughter, it is madness. And of pleasure, what does it accomplish? Joy that is based on self-pleasure doesn't satisfy. It's counterfeit. Second counterfeit joy is the joy of perversion. The world says joy comes from not only doing sin, but laughing about evil. Like most of the humor today on TV, most of the humor in sitcoms is laughing about sin. That's counterfeit joy. In Proverbs 15.21, Solomon said, Folly is joy to him who lacks sense. You see, you may have a good sense of humor, but if you're laughing at the wrong things, that's not real joy. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus came to the house of a synagogue official whose daughter had died. And Jesus cleared everybody out of the house by saying, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. And the Bible says they laughed at Jesus until he raised her from the dead, and then they stopped laughing. Let me give you a clue. When you're laughing, you better not be laughing at Jesus. You better be laughing with Jesus. Because joy that is based in perversion is counterfeit. And then the third counterfeit joy is the joy of preservation. And that's people who kind of use laughter as a defense mechanism. They hide behind laughter because they don't want you to know what's really going on. Proverbs 14, 13 says, Even in laughter, the heart may be in pain, and the end of joy may be grief. A plastic smile is counterfeit joy. Because real joy is not something you hide behind. Real joy is not a a mask that you put on. Real joy fills you up and flows out of your life. So just because you're laughing doesn't mean you've got joy. You may be falling for a counterfeit joy. The joy of pleasure, the joy of perversion, the joy of preservation. And that's why later in James chapter 4 and verse 9, We're going to be told to draw near to God, and here's how you're to do it. He says, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. You know how you find real joy? 
You have to take your counterfeit joy and turn it into sorrowful repentance. And then you will experience true joy in the presence of the Lord. Third kill joy is baggage. Some of you aren't joyful because you're carrying baggage around. I thought of two pieces of baggage. One of them says on the side, guilt. This is baggage from the past. This is when you look back and remember something from your past and it demoralizes you in the present. So that you're so filled with guilt that there's no room for joy. And the other piece of baggage says fear on the side. And this is baggage in the future. It's looking forward and conjuring up something that frightens you. It's when you sit around and say, what if that terrible thing happened in my life? So you are so filled with fear that there's no room for joy. You see, joyful people are riveted to the present. They're not focused on the past failures. They're not worried about the future possibilities. Helen Malicote wrote something called, I Am. She said, I was regretting the past and fearing the future. Suddenly, my Lord was speaking. He said, my name is I Am. He paused. I waited. He continued. When you live in the past with its mistakes and regrets, it is hard. I am not there. My name is not I was. When you live in the future with its problems and fears, it is hard. I am not there. My name is not I will be. When you live in this moment, it is not hard. I am here. My name is I am. God took care of your yesterday. He holds your future. And he is... He is, I am, today, to fill you with joy. Final kill, kill joy is pig pens. You're all familiar with the prodigal son. The prodigal son felt the allure of the world. He said, I want pleasure, I want possessions, and I am somebody. Exactly what fills the world. And so he went out to grab for the gusto and he ended up in a pig pen. When he came to his senses and he came back home, it's interesting, he had a totally different attitude because he came back home saying, I am nobody and I want to serve you. I want to do what you want. He said, I'm a nobody. I have sinned and I am not worthy. And he said, I want to be one of your servants. You know what that second attitude got him? You know what the attitude got him when he came home? It got him everything he was really looking for out in the world. 
because the father ran to him, embraced him, kissed him, felt compassion for him, forgave him, put a robe, a ring, and sandals on him and killed the fatted calf. And you know what else he got? Joy. It says they were merry, M-E-R-R-Y. They celebrated. Let me tell you something that you probably already know. The sign on the pig pen never says pig pen. It always says pleasure, possessions, prestige. And some of us have the go into all the world part down. We are out there. But we are knee deep in slime in the pig pen. And there is nothing that kills joy like a pig pen. There is no joy in Mudville. You know, the only benefit of a pig pen is that it can bring you to your senses. The only benefit of a pig pen is that it can bring you to that right attitude of humility and saying, God, I want to do what you want. And some of us sitting here today are in the pig pen. And we need to come home to the Lord. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. We're to be in the world, but distinct from the world. And one of those distinctions is joy. And if you're going to be a difference maker for Christ in this world, you need to beware of killjoys. Hiding your sin, falling for a counterfeit joy, carrying the baggage of either guilt or fear, and pig pens. How do you avoid them? You stay near the shepherd. And you keep coming home. Jesus, when he talked about being the shepherd in John chapter 10, he said, I'm going to give you salvation and you will go out and come in and find pastures. We go out into the world and we come back in. We go out and we come back in. We go out and we keep coming back home to the Lord. That's really what the church is supposed to be. We're not a 60-foot pole where we go up and isolate from the world. We are a filling station where we come week after week and get refilled with the truth of God, get filled up with the Spirit of God to go out and be a light in the world, to go out and be salt in the world, to go out and allow the world to see the joy in us that it can't explain because it's not based on our circumstances. This morning, we're going to close our service by sharing communion together. If you're here as a guest, you are welcome because it's the Lord's Supper. It's not our supper. We're going to remember the cross, which is so crucial to this. Jesus, it says of Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And when he went to the cross, where they put the spikes in his hands. Your name and my name was engraved there out of his love. And today he rejoices over you.
He rejoices over you. Even with your failures, even with your limitations, he's still saying, come home. Come home. So before we take communion today, I would challenge each of us to be honest in our heart before the Lord. If there's anything we're hiding to say, God, I'm going to give it up. I'm going to come back to you completely, wholly, fully, and allow you to fill me with your spirit and your joy. Let's pray and give thanks. Lord, we thank you. that you loved us enough that you gave us your son to die in our place, to provide the price to forgive us. And not only that, but you've given us your spirit to live inside of us and, Lord, to produce in us his fruit. Thank you that the second character quality of fruit is joy. Lord, I pray today that we would examine our hearts and see where there may be killjoys in us, things that are strangling out, choking out your joy. And Lord, to give those things to you and allow you to flow through us and exude the joy that matches the sacrifice that you made in our place. We give you our thanks today and we give you our praise in Jesus' name.